What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I am your host, Tyler, and I was originally scheduled to have a co-host here with me today. Curtis was supposed to be with me today, but he is actually moving back to law school this week. We thought we could still find a way to sneak it in, but uh, he's also moving into a new apartment, which is never a fun process. I know a lot of you guys out there know exactly what I'm talking about. My wife and I ourselves, actually, just we bought a new house in Athens, a little closer to downtown, right before the pandemic upended all of our lives, and we actually just moved a couple months ago. So I can say with confidence that moving is a terrible and very stressful experience. So I empathize with Curtis and what he's going through uh, this weekend, and it's not just that. On top of the typical stresses of, of moving, there have apparently been a few minor complications here and there with Curtis's particular move. Nothing crazy, but still stressful nonetheless. So to help him out a little bit and make his life just ever so slightly easier this week, I just went ahead and told him to not even worry about the podcast this week. He'll be back next week, no worries. But today, I've got you guys covered. And I figured that this would be the perfect time to roll out my 2021 Most Wanted Recruits list version 2.0. Back in May, which seems like eons ago. I'm not sure about you guys, but to me, that seems like forever ago now that we kind of live our lives on a loop of tedium. But anyway, I released my initial version of my 2021 Most Wanted Recruits list back then in May. And I told you guys at that time that I would periodically update the list as prospects came off the board and new ones emerged and as more film and information surfaced. Well, here we are three months later now. And yeah, a number of the guys on my original Most Wanted list are now off the board. A bunch of new names have emerged in their place. And I've watched a lot more tape of all these guys. So it's time to update the list. I've been wanting to do this for a couple of weeks. Just haven't had a chance to kind of fit it in, but now is a perfect time to do it. You kind of just update where we stand right now as fall camp is set to begin in a little bit over a week. I think it's August 17th, I want to say, is the new updated date for the start of fall camp. And for any of you who might have missed the initial version of my most wanted prospects list back in May, and also just a refresher for any of you guys who caught it, but might not quite remember because it was three months ago after all, I do want to re-emphasize that Clearly, this is a very subjective exercise. I'm not basing this on recruiting rankings. I'm basing it primarily off of my own evaluations of these guys based on what I have personally seen, which I will admit is limited this this time around by the fact that I can't really go out and watch these guys in person right now. That can't really happen this recruiting cycle. You know, every spring and summer, I usually attend more than a couple of different camps to kind of get an up close look at, at as many of these guys as I possibly can, at least the top guys. And I, I mean, I always try to make it out to the opening regional in the metro Atlanta area that kind of move that around from high school to high school. I try to. I always make it out to the seven-on-seven camps here in Athens that that UGA holds, and I try to make it to the Kirby Smart camps as well, uh, the Corky Kell seven-on-sevens. I'm into that a couple of times. All those things, but with the pandemic, obviously those camps didn't happen this summer, so I don't have that in-person evaluation to work off for most of these guys. There's a, there's a couple of them I saw last summer when they were juniors, rising juniors at some of these camps. Sometimes you'll see some of the rising juniors, but not really a ton of them. So I'm working largely off of highlight tape and game tape where I can find it. And while those eye test evaluations of their talent are what I lean on most, 
I'm also factoring in a couple different things, testing numbers, scheme fit, positional need, all those types of things, especially when it comes to tiebreakers between prospects that I kind of see as neck and neck from a talent standpoint. If I come across a couple guys like that, which I did, I kind of go back and say, okay, well, who fits better in our scheme? What position do we have more of a need at? All those things kind of break the ties for me. And I'm also, I want to make sure I put this out there. I'm limiting this list of prospects that I know we are actively recruiting based on reports that are out there. And also guys that I feel like we are serious contenders for. I don't want to throw names out there that we have no chance to get. Because, I mean, really, if I did it any other way, I would just kind of copy and paste the top 10 of the 247 composite, dust off my hands, and, and be done with it, right? Uh, so I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I want to base it off my evaluations. And, and sometimes what I see doesn't always align with the recruiting rankings that are out there. And that's okay. So I just want to put that out there. Of course, you are likely to agree with some of, of my picks and you're going to disagree with others. That's cool. That's the nature of the beast. So I encourage you to hit me up on Twitter at glory underscore UGA to tell me what I got right and what I got wrong. I'm sure I'm going to get plenty wrong. Your thoughts are absolutely welcome. We always appreciate that. And one last thing before we get started on this list, you longtime listeners know this, but I always like to say this when I talk recruiting. I am not a recruiting reporter nor do I pretend to be. I do not call prospects on the phone. I do not interview them, all that kind of thing. I leave that to the experts who do that for a living. I follow recruiting very, very closely, very closely. And I read with all the recruiting writers on the beat rapport and I read between the lines and kind of put it all together and come to my own conclusions about where we stand with guys based off what I'm hearing. And every now and then I'll hear bits and pieces from a few contacts I have around the program and I'm happy to share those with you guys as I will today. But I just want to make sure you guys are all aware of that. I don't want to pretend to be something that I'm not. I evaluate these guys for the podcast, but I am definitively not in the business of kind of reporting on where these guys are or are not going to end up committing to. But anyway, that's how I put this together. But now let's get to the actual list itself. I'm going to start at the bottom with number 10 and work my way up to the number one player on my 2021 recruiting most wanted list, version 2.0. And actually, each of these first five prospects, numbers six through 10, they're all new additions to this version of the most wanted prospects list. None of them were on version 1.0. But as I said earlier, when names come off the board and new names emerge, you gotta update things. Barrett Carter, Mario Williams, James Williams, Tony Grimes and Dion Colsey, those are the five names that made my initial list but aren't on this one. The first four, Carter, Mario Williams, James Williams, Tony Grimes, those four are not on this version 2.0 list because they committed elsewhere. And Dion Colsey from Athens Academy, I still really like Dion Colsey and I'd be totally happy if we ended up getting a commitment from him. He's a wide receiver, but I just like some of the new names a little bit more and he kind of just fell off my list there. He would be right there, probably number 11 if uh, if I went like 10 plus one, but only got 10 and he just barely missed the cut. So let's start with number 10. The first of those new names is defensive lineman Tyrion Ingram Dawkins. He's a six foot five, 298 pound, virtually 300 pounds uh, defensive lineman. He's number 284 in the 247 composite. He's out of South Carolina, out of Gaffney, South Carolina. And he's a guy that over the past couple of years has really added a lot of weight to his frame particularly between his sophomore and junior seasons. And apparently, it seems like from what I can gather, he's actually added even more to that frame to the point that he's up to about 300 pounds. You know, two years ago or so, he was about 255, 260. Now again, pushing about 300 pounds. 
He's a really athletic interior defensive lineman. He's not necessarily like super explosive like Jalen Carter, but he does show a good first step on tape. Uh, and I think he's absolutely a guy that if we were able to land him, could be a big time contributor for us along that defensive front. What I like most about him is his length. He's got really long arms. I think that's really important for defensive linemen. And you know, you see a lot of guys with long arms. That's great. But how do you actually use the tools that you've got? And I think that Ingram Dawkins really uses those long, long arms very well, especially when you're talking about a high school defensive lineman. He does a great job shooting those arms to control the blocker. Then he can shed the blocker and get to the ball carrier. You don't see that kind of polish and technique from defensive linemen at the high school level all that often because usually these high-level D linemen at the high school level, they just out physical people. They just dominate you physically. And, and he can do that, but he's a guy that also flashes some technique more than you typically see from high school defense linemen. So I think that's a really big plus in, in his favor. He plays a pretty good leverage as well, which is also something that, we, that I watch closely when I'm looking at high school defense linemen. A lot of these high school guys, again, they just overpower people. Leverage is not a is not a thing for them. They don't care. They don't. It doesn't matter to them at the high school level. They're, they're just a, they're men among boys. But he actually plays with pretty good leverage, which is a good sign of what he can do once he comes in to the to a college program. And, and he's a guy that also has some positional versatility. I like him best as an interior three tech defensive tackle. But I do think he's athletic enough to slide out and play the five tech if we want to go heavy on standard downs against more run heavy teams. You don't play as many of those teams anymore, but they're on the schedule every now and then. I think he can kind of slide out there in those situations. He he's not as physically dominant at this stage as some of the other defensive linemen you see in high school, like a Jalen Carter last year, for instance, or a Mason Smith in this year's class. He needs to continue to work on his body, continue to add more strength. But I love his athleticism from that position. I think he could give us a very strong interior pass rush. In terms of where we stand for him right now, we made my list, so we got to be in the thick of things for him. And what I, from what I can tell, it seems like we're in his top three, along with Tennessee and the home state Gamecocks right now. I don't know if we'll end up landing him, but you know, being in the top three, you certainly have a fighting chance. And I know that we're going to continue to actively recruit this guy to the very end. So hopefully it's a guy that we land because we could use some more depth on the defensive line to go with guys like Trevon Walker and Jalen Carter, no doubt about it. All right, next up, coming in at number nine is a guy that I really like. His name is Kamari Lassiter. He's out of Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I know, it's weird, right? The, the idea that we're in it for a guy that's from Tuscaloosa, you think he'd be a, a, a shoe in for Bama, right? But he's a six foot, 185 pound cornerback. That's number 352 nationally. He's only a three star prospect right now. I don't know how in the world this guy is only a three star prospect. There's honestly, that's just defies logic when I watch this guy play because this dude can flat out ball. I love him. I really do. I think he's incredibly underrated. He's a guy that I think if there was a camp season this past spring and this summer, he would have gotten more exposure. Some of these guys that do the recruiting rankings would have seen him and gotten more familiar with the skill set that he brings to the table. And I absolutely think that he would be higher in the rankings right now. He's certainly a four-star prospect. I know that's all subjective. I think he's, man, I, I think he's a top 100, 200 prospect in the country. I really do. I think I think that highly of him. He's, he's an explosive athlete at cornerback, and he will absolutely hit you too. He's got really good ball skills, which is obviously important for a cornerback. He's not listed as being very big. He's only listed, like I said, at six foot one eighty five. But when you watch him on tape, he just he looks like he's bigger than that. And I think the reason that is is he's just long, right? He, I think he's longer than he is tall. He has really long arms. He has the tools to be a big time cornerback. 
I, I, again, I, I absolutely love this guy. I love the ball skills. I love the athleticism. I love the aggressiveness. I love the attitude, the swagger he plays with. If we got him, I think we would have a playmaker on our hands. I really do. And we're firmly in his top three right now, it seems like, along with Clemson and Auburn. Obviously, Auburn is the home state school there. It's strange that he's really looking more at Auburn than Alabama right now. I'm not sure how strongly Alabama is recruiting him at this point. But from what I'm hearing, it sounds like he could be pretty close to a decision within the next couple of weeks. And look, I know it's tough to get guys out of Alabama, especially guys straight out of Tuscaloosa. But Kirby's done it before with some high-profile prospects. Obviously, most recently with George Pickens. You go back to Clay Webb a couple cycles ago. And I think, you know what? He might just do it again with Lasseter. And, and, and if we get his commitment, I, I'm kind of looking into my crystal ball here and looking into the future. And I see a lot of Georgia fans kind of like, oh, okay, cool, whatever, because they're going to look at the ranking. He's a three-star in the 300s nationally. And they're like, cool, that's right. That's good. You know, I'm glad to get this guy, but they're not going to be all that excited about him. And I'm telling you guys, if we do end up somehow landing Lasseter, get excited because this guy can play. I think he can come in and compete right away for playing time at the cornerback position if you consider the need that we're going to potentially have at that position next year. A lot of guys moving on. So really high on Lasseter. And coming at number eight is another cornerback. A guy named Nylon Green from here in the state of Georgia. He's a little bit taller, a little bit longer, 6'2", 185 pounds, number 87 nationally, right inside the top 100. I think his ranking is very appropriate for what, for what I've seen from him. He's uh, at a Newton High School here, again, in the state of Georgia, and I really like this dude's game. And the reason Laster and Green are right with each other here, number eight and number nine, is because I don't see that much separation. I do prefer Green maybe ever so slightly above Laster. I think he's a little bit more polished and a little bit more versatile right now. I think he can also play safety. I'm not saying Laster couldn't play safety. He just hasn't, I have not seen that from him on tape. But it's a, it's a very thin line of separation between those two. But I went with Green, gave him the edge here. Again, he's really long, has the ability to play either safety or cornerback. I do like him long-term better at corner with that length. He has outstanding cover skills. He's really physical and press man when he plays cornerback and also plays it with really, really good technique. I mean, again, a lot of these elite guys that are just you know so much more athletic, so much faster, just all around better than the, than the guys are going against on the other side of the ball at the high school level, technique isn't as big of a deal for them because they, they can just get by without it. So when I see a guy that is really athletic and has the physical tools and plays a really good technique, that gets me excited because those are the kind of guys that have a chance to come in and play right away. So he's physical and press man, does a really good job pressing at the line of scrimmage. Uh, and off man, he does also a really good job of kind of sticking his foot in the ground and driving on routes. He's got really good closing speed, especially when he's playing in zone. Diagnosis plays really well from the safety position. and really showcases impressive awareness, more so than you typically see from a guy at the high school level. And again, he's another guy that will hit you. You'll, you'll kind of hear that theme throughout this list as I reveal all these names. I'm big on physicality, and so is Kirby Smart. And that's one, thing, one of those things I, I certainly look for when I'm evaluating guys. Because look, the SEC, we know it's a man's league, and you've got to be physical. You've got to be tough, and you've got to be willing to hit, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And Nyland Green fits the, all of those qualifications for me. He'll hit you. He's not afraid to be physical. He'll come up and run support, no questions asked. And we seem to be in a really good position for him. Since Tony Grimes decided to reclassify and end up committing to North Carolina, we seem to have really turned up the heat on Green. And from what I can gather, he seems to be really liking what he hears. And he's another guy that, look, I, he, I think he could pop at any given moment. I don't have like any inside information on that for just everything I'm piecing together. It sounds like he's closer to committing 
than some of these other prospects that are on this list. So he's a guy that, again, it, just like last year, if he commits, now he's in the top 100. I think last year should probably be right around that that area as well. But if he commits, people will be more excited because he's a top 100 guy. But man, he's he's a really, really impressive cornerback prospect who I would love to get on a commit list at a position of need. All right, moving on, another position of need. Coming in at number seven, we have linebacker Xavier Sori. I think that's how you say his first name. I'm going to go with Xavier. He's a six foot three, 215 pound inside linebacker. At least he projects to play inside linebacker. He's number 63 nationally in the 247 composite, and he has recently transferred to IMG Academy in the state of Florida. Well, he was already in Florida, so he's a Florida dude. But man, I really, really like Sori. He's, he's a guy that, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't really looking at closely earlier in the recruiting cycle. I was focusing more on guys like Barrett Carter and Smale Mondin. But once we lost Carter, Sori's name started to emerge. He's one of these new names that, that's kind of come onto the scene. And, dude, I really, really like what I see from this guy at the inside linebacker position. Now, here's the thing. he It's kind of a misnomer to say I like what I see from him at the inside linebacker position because he doesn't really play that position in high school. He plays on the edge, like an outside linebacker, like a pass rusher. And he doesn't necessarily – like he doesn't – Strike me as a guy that has a long-term future at that position. I don't think that's where his skill set lies. But I think he can be a plus athlete at inside linebacker. You know, he's going to have to develop at that position, which is why he isn't higher on my list. I think he's a guy with a really high upside. And his upside, I would say, would lead me to have him a little higher. But I'm just a little bit hesitant to put him higher on the list because I just haven't seen him play really any inside linebacker at all, which is, again, what I think he projects as at the college level, and I think what we're recruiting him as right now. But I love the tools. That's why he's on the list. I absolutely love the physical tools. He's explosive. He has some pass rush ability, given that he basically plays that position in high school. He really kind of reminds me of Quay Walker coming out of high school from Chris County. He's a guy, Quay was a guy that played outside much more than he played inside. He'd play inside occasionally, but he was much more an outside linebacker playing in space, rushing the passer, those kind of things. I don't know if Sori's quite the athlete I think Quay was coming out of high school, but he's certainly not far behind, very comparable. Uh, one thing I do like about Sori, he's really comfortable in space. I think he's one of those new age inside linebackers. Again, talking about the skills that, that, that I really like about him. He has that ability to play side on the sideline. He can cover in space. All those things new age linebackers have to be able to do. He has the skill set to be able to do that. Now, there are some areas in which he needs to improve. He needs to polish up his game as a tackler. I don't think he's necessarily a great tackler. Or at least I haven't seen him showcase that on tape. But he does like contact. and He'll strike ball carriers as well. So I think he's got the physicality, the toughness. He just got to learn how to actually stick his nose in the air, play an inside linebacker, and just stick somebody. And when you watch him play, and there's actually quite a bit of tape of him out there, Basically, every game I see him in, he's the best overall athlete, not just on his high school team, but pretty much on either team out there on the field. And again, he's also, as an inside linebacker, that's a major position of need. Let's not forget, guys, we signed exactly zero inside linebackers in the 2020 class. So we have got to get a couple of guys at that position right now. And I think Sori's a guy that, that could certainly fit the bill. And I would be extraordinarily excited to get him as well. And we are certainly in his top group. I know he's very excited about us as a program and what we're doing recruiting him. He seems to like Schumann and Kirby as well. So very positive momentum with, with Sawyer right now. I don't I don't know when he's going to come in. I do not know if we'll land him. I can't tell you that. But I, I like the position we're in right now. And we certainly have a very legitimate shot to end up landing his commitment. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. 
So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, moving on. Number six, the last of the new additions to this most wanted prospects list is a Juco prospect. A guy named Dijon Warren. He's a cornerback, a six foot, 175 pound cornerback out of Lackawanna Community College. He's the number two Juco prospect in the country, according to the 247 composite. I think Rivals has him as the number one Juco prospect, but he's number two overall in the 247 composite, which I always kind of end up going with because that kind of averages out all the different rankings out there. But regardless, he's a high-level Juco prospect. He's another guy like Kamari Laster that might not have the prototypical size, only six foot, 175 pounds. But man, when you watch him play, his athleticism, it just jumps off the screen. He's got really, really impressive athleticism, very impressive speed, outstanding ball skills, which might be the most important trait of a cornerback as far as I'm concerned. And here's another guy. Here's that theme. He does not shy away from contact. He's got a small frame, sure, but he will hit you. He's a really aggressive player at cornerback. He flashes really quick reflexes and, and showcases really fluid hits, which is another key component of being a good cornerback at the, at the college level. And he's another guy that also, he's really advanced in terms of the technique he plays with. He does a great job of playing with leverage and walling off receivers and man coverage. He's really explosive out of his back pedal. And look, I know that he's the third cornerback that I've listed here in the first five names. But the reason for that is, I think that's a big time position of need. With our top three guys, at that position in 2020, likely moving on after this season with, with Stokes, Daniel, they're both moving on for sure. Now, Campbell, Tyson Campbell, there's a chance he comes back, but if he has a good season, I could certainly see him going pro as well, as highly rated as he was coming out of high school. You know these guys want to get to the NFL as fast as they possibly can, and if he sees a path towards that destination, then I think he'll likely take it. So there's a really good chance we lose all three of those top guys. Of course, we have Keely Ringo. You guys know that I'm really high on. I also like Jalen Kimber as well from the 2020 class, but we need guys that are ready to come in and play right away. And that's why I have Warren ahead of Green and Lassiter. I just think he's the most ready right now of the three coming out of JUCO, kind of a la DJ Daniel last year. We saw what he was able to do coming from the JUCO ranks. And I also think that's something that might help us. It might work in our favor because we can point like to DJ Daniel and say, look at what this dude did last year. He came in from the JUCO ranks. He was starting for us most of the year. Yeah, it might've been because of injury, but he was already playing regardless. And we coached him up, developed him, and he had a really, really good year for us last year and looks poised to potentially win a starting job again this year. I think that could certainly play in our favor when it comes to Dijon Warren. He is from Maryland originally. Like It seems like we're the only SEC school that's really involved with him at the other schools. Like they're from up north, Maryland, Penn State, those kind of places. And he does have tentative plans to try to visit in December. Obviously, that's very fluid right now because we do not know when or if 2021 prospects will ever be allowed back on campus to take official visits. So he looks like he's trying to push it off as far as he can to see if they do get the go-ahead and the all-clear to go ahead and start taking visits. So, But to me, the fact that he has plans to try to visit us, if possible, I, I think that's big. But I still don't – I have not heard of anything that would lead me to believe that he is about to commit anytime soon. But still, he's a guy that we are certainly in his top group. I think he's liking what he's hearing from us, and uh, we'll be, we're going to be recruiting this guy to the very end. There's no doubt about it. I think he's uh, that high on our recruiting board. So, all right, as we enter the top five, each of these next five prospects, they all were in my original top 10 most wanted list back in May. But 
I have moved the order around as more info and tape has surfaced. And coming in at number five is tight end Brock Bowers. You guys have heard me talk about him quite a bit over the past month or so. He's a six foot three, 225 pound tight end from Napa, California, number 92 nationally, just inside the top 100. He was originally number seven in my initial most wanted list, but he's now moved inside the top five. Now that's partly because of you guys ahead of him committed elsewhere, but it's also because I love this guy. You guys know that. If, you, you, if you've been listening to the show the past month or so, you've heard me talk about him. You know I'm really, really high on Brock Bowers. And the reason that is, is I mean, this guy has elite athleticism for a tight end. He, this guy has been clocked at 4.55 in the 40-yard dash at 225 pounds, got a 40-inch vertical. He gets snaps at tailback on his high school team and is impressive in doing it. Like, sure, sometimes if you're the most athletic guy on your team or you're the best player on your team, on, at least offensively, they'll put you at running back, give you the ball, and you do some things. But a lot of times you can say, man, that guy doesn't really look like a running back. But when you see Brock Bowers play that position, you're kind of like, man, that guy could actually play running back. Like He's actually pretty good at that position. But certainly long-term, he projects as a tight end. And he ha- he actually has a little wiggle, a little short area quickness for a tight end. Like You don't usually see that from tight ends. Now, maybe more so guys in the NFL, you're talking about Travis Kelsey and Greg Kittle, those kind of guys. But those guys are pretty rare. Now, I'm not ready to say Bowers is going to be as good as those guys. Certainly not. But I think he's in that vein. He's that type of player. Uh, and he's really, he's a truly new age, hybrid type tight end. And I think he would be a fantastic compliment to Darnell Washington. He's also a strong guy. It's not like he's just all about speed and athleticism. He's also a strong dude that can hold up in line as well in the run game. I just, I really think, like, we have not had a guy like him, like him in nearly 20 years at that position. And I'm highly intrigued by what Todd Munkin could do with him and, and Darnell Washington together on the same team out there in the same formation. That's really intriguing to me. I just think the guy's a game-changing type player. Uh, he took a visit here with his family last month on his own dime. We've detailed that on the show before. And now he did follow that up with a visit to Washington. And it seems that we are the final two teams in the race for him. But Washington already has two tight ends committed right now. I think that very well could factor into his final decision. Now, I know Washington is certainly closer to home, but from everything I've heard from him, it seems like he really, really enjoys Athens, likes the vibe, had dinner with Vandegrift and his family. So he's got some people that he knows here. He's kind of bonded with some of his teammates. All those things really bode well for where we stand right now with Brock Bowers. And I just, I feel really good about him. And I I honestly, I think he pulls the trigger sooner rather than later. And I think it's going to be good news for the guys in red and black. All right. Number four is a running back, a guy named Donovan Edwards out of the state of Michigan, 5'11", 190 pounds, number 34 nationally in the 247 composite. Again, if you guys have been listening regularly throughout the pandemic, you've heard me talk about Donovan Edwards. I'm really high on him. I think he's the best running back in the country coming out of high school this year. And he's actually one of only two guys in the exact same spot in version 2.0 of this list. Uh, And like I said, I still think he's the best running back in this class, especially among the uncommitted running backs. LJ Johnson is the other guy I like a lot at the running back position, but I, I think I like, I still like Edwards better because I think he's a better overall athlete, is, is more versatile out of the backfield. I think that's going to be important in Todd Munkin's system. Guys can actually catch the ball out of the backfield. I have not seen a verified 40 yard dash from I've looked everywhere I could possibly think of. I haven't found one that's verified. But also, when you watch a guy on tape, he can absolutely move. He's got home run type speed. He's also got top end short area quickness, which, again, if you listen to the show a lot, when I talk about recruiting, I, I kind of detail, I think, 
especially for running backs, that short area quickness is much more important than having that elite top end speed. I think he has both of them, which makes this guy a truly special running back. He also runs with power. He's a guy that can be physical. There's that theme again. I like physical players. And he's, again, very strong out of the back from the passing game. He actually splits out and plays like a true outside wide receiver for his team sometimes. It's not like, you know, you see plenty of times where you'll take a running back, you'll motion him out in the slot, you get a matchup on a linebacker, on a safety, that kind of thing. Well, yeah, they do that with him too. But there are plays and situations where he will actually line up out wide as an outside wide receiver. And he does that very, very well. I just, I think he's the most complete back in this class. I will admit it's going to be a tough pull for Michigan with the Wolverines putting up a really strong fight for him as well. But from everything I can gather, it seems like we are right there with Michigan in his top two or three. We really need to be able to get him on campus. I think that's really important right now, especially when you're recruiting a guy that is from that far away. But if we do, if, if we get clearance to actually start hosting prospects again on campus in our football facility, I really like our chances. I think that's one of the big things that we do with our recruiting infrastructure is we just we put on a show, man, and we really kind of show off what the University of Georgia has to offer when we get these guys on campus, we really make moves for guys once we get them on campus. And, and you can say that for most programs, sure. But I think that we have really been, kind of been setting the standard for official visits and even unofficial visits. Just so when we get guys on campus, I think the, the infrastructure that Kirby Smart has built and established, I, I think it's second to none right now in the country. So if, if God willing, we can start getting guys back on campus and he's one of them, then I, I really like where we stand with him. And I, I think he has a chance. If we somehow end up landing him, pulling him from Michigan, I think he could be the next great Georgia running back. I also really like Kendall Milton. Don't get me wrong. I actually really like Kendall Milton. He's looking really good with some of the, the, the good weight he's added since he's been here on campus. But Edwards, uh, he's a guy that's that's a, a different level athlete than Kendall Milton. I'll, I'll say that for sure. Okay, moving on is a guy that actually dropped down a spot from version 1.0, and that is linebacker Smail Mondin. He's 6'3", 220 pounds, number 25 nationally, a five-star prospect out of the state of Georgia here in Paulding County. He is down one spot from number two, but I'm still extraordinarily high on him. And I also still have him ahead of Domin Edwards, like I did in the first edition of this, of this most wanted list, because I think he has a higher ceiling than Edwards. And I think linebacker right now for us is a greater position of need. I, I really believe that. And the reason I have him at number three and not up at number one, it's not about his upside. I think he might have the highest upside of maybe anyone on this list if he, if he if actually gets all the way to that upside. But he's really raw right now. He's, he's a plus athlete. He's an insane athlete with an abundance of physical tools. But he's really, really raw right now as a linebacker. But honestly, man, I don't care about that. He's just such a ridiculous athlete for that size at 220, 225 pounds. I mean, he's another guy, kind of like Bowers, that plays running back on offense. And it doesn't matter who they're playing. When I watch this guy on tape, he is consistently the fastest guy on the field. And just to give you a, a, a quick little example here, a little anecdote. On his tape, there are multiple examples of him blocking field goals with just a speed rush off the edge. I just cannot get the kickoff without the guy getting there and blocking the kick. Now, obviously, I know we're talking about high school level and special teams in high school. It can be hit or miss, sure. But still, there are a ton of high-level athletes out there that are going to be big-time players at the college level, and you don't see them blocking field goals like that as often as you see Smell monitor. It, it just kind of stands out to you when you see it. Now, he is a guy that I think right now, with his athleticism, he's more comfortable playing in space at this point than he is playing between the tackles. 
And I really don't think he's going to be ready to be kind of a plug-and-play guy as a starter at inside linebacker right away from a development standpoint. But I do think he could take a similar track to maybe like a Roquan Smith. I'm not saying he's going to be Roquan Smith, but I do see some similarities. Roquan was a great athlete coming out of high school, kind of an all-around type player for his high school, but was pretty raw as an inside linebacker. And if you remember Roquan, as good as he ended up being, God, he was so good. He was not a, a star. He wasn't even a starter right away. Didn't, wasn't really contributing as a true freshman. Then as a sophomore, starts to get in the rotation, see more playing time. You start to see flashes of what that guy can be. You start to see him grow throughout the season. And then, boom, as a, as a junior, oh, my God. The guy just exploded on the scene. Is an All-American, first-round draft pick. And I think Mondin has a similar physical profile. And also, he's at a similar stage in his development as an inside linebacker as Roquan was at this point coming out of high school. So I could certainly see kind of that trajectory for him at the college level. So I just put that out there. If we do end up landing him, which is not certainly not a done deal, I don't want people to think that he's necessarily a guy that's going to come in and make an immediate impact. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying he can't do it. If he's a quick study, then sure. He's got the athleticism to do it. And there's going to be opportunities, I believe, for him. But he, he's got a ways to go in terms of learning and growing and playing the inside linebacker position. But like Roquan, give him a year or two, and this guy, no questions asked can be an All-American if he's just ready to work and take the coaching. He's just got such an incredible upside. Now, the bigger question is, will we land him? For a while, we were uh, actually a pretty good ways out in front from everybody else from what I was hearing. And there was actually a time there earlier on in the pandemic where there were rumors, pretty strong rumors, in fact, that he was about to commit. And if he did commit, it seemed like it was going to be to the good guys. But COVID has hurt us by not being able to take advantage of in-state proximity here and get him on campus. That's one of the big reasons that being the in-state program plays in your favor. Sure, you kind of have the sentimental element built into it, but it's just the practical aspect of you can get these guys on campus a lot more often than some of these out-of-state programs can because you can they can just drive here. They don't have to fly. don't spend any money. Don't, don't, put, don't have to put themselves up in a hotel. You drive in and out, that whole thing. You just get here a lot more often. But we have not really been able to take advantage of that. And I think that's kind of opened up the door for other programs to kind of come in and make a move. Auburn and Tennessee and, and even Florida have become big players for him at this stage in his recruitment. And what I'm hearing is that Auburn is the biggest threat right now, which – I got to admit, guys, I will never, ever understand that. I, I, I don't understand how Auburn ever beats us for anybody. I, I really don't. I know I'm biased. Sure, that's fine. Call me a homer, whatever. But, like, what is the appeal of playing for Auburn? Like, what, you're going to go live in a cow pasture with, like, one and a half bars maybe to go to? Uh, and, and doing all that to go to an inferior academic institution with an inferior football program that has to wear the ridiculous orange? Like, what? Why? I, mean, I, I get it if, if playing time's your thing, but dude, like, there's going to be playing time available here in Athens as well. Um, and, and especially like when the home state school, when you're talking about the University of Georgia, has such a need at your position, like what, what, what's, what is the appeal? I just, I will never ever quite understand that. I, I won't. I, and I, I'm sure they got something going. I'm sure they they put on a show there with with their official visits and the whole nine yards, and they have a good recruiting staff, sure. But man, I just, I can't for the life of me understand why a a top level Georgia prospect would ever spurn UGA to go to Auburn. It just it just doesn't register with me. But anyway, I think we're in a good spot for him. I don't know if he's ready to commit soon. It doesn't necessarily seem like I'm hearing that right now, but we are still very much in this for Smale Mond and in that top group, and we're going to recruit him heavily to the end. There's no doubt about that. All right, moving on. We've got our final two here, our top two. 
Coming in at number two, moving all the way into the top two from the number five position is defensive lineman Corey Foreman from out in California. He's the number one overall prospect in the country. So you might be wondering, well, well, why is he not number one on your overall most wanted list? And I will explain that. Just give me a second. I'll explain it. But uh, he's a big time player, man. He's a, he's a freaking monster. He's 6'4", 265 pounds. Again, out of the state of California. And yeah, he was number five on the initial edition of my most wanted list. But now he's in the top two. And I actually think you can make a very strong argument that he should be number one. You can certainly make that argument from a talent standpoint. The only reason he was not higher in the first edition of this top 10 list was because I just wasn't convinced that we really had a legit shot with him. I just wasn't convinced. He had, at that time, had just decommitted from Clemson. And that was the only reason that he was even on the initial list in the first place was that he wasn't committed to Clemson any longer. If he was still committed to Clemson, he would not have been on the list. But I just wasn't buying it. Even though he had decommitted from Clemson, I just wasn't buying that we were a big-time player in his recruitment. But that has changed. I've been hearing for a month or so now that we are far more in this than most people realize, more so than I realized. And his dad gave an interview this week where he revealed that they are trying to set up an unofficial visit to Athens on their own dime, like Brock Bowers. And I think that's important to note because you do not do that. You just don't do that. You do not pay your way across country when you can't even go into the football facilities unless you are seriously considering a school. That doesn't mean we'll land him, but it means we're a major contender in his recruitment. There's also rumors, like his dad kind of put these to rest, at least he denied them, but there have been some strong rumors over the past day or so that he is potentially looking at a transfer to Grayson High School here in Gwinnett County, which would obviously vote even more in our favor if that was to happen. But he was asked that question. His dad was asked that question in that same interview I referenced a second ago. And uh, he kind of uh, downplayed that. In fact, he said like, no, 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 that's not happening. Doesn't mean they can't change their mind and still not working out things behind the scenes. But at least for now, his dad has said, no, no, that's that's not happening. So until we hear something more concrete, I'm not going to spread that rumor anymore and say, oh yeah, it's like, it's an impending transfer. Like we don't know that right now. It's just a rumor at this point. But I do know that his dad said they're trying to make their way here to Athens for an unofficial visit. And I also do know that he did love the first visit he took to Athens last year. I think he took that by himself. That was before he committed to Clemson. And he's actually openly talked about it in interviews that he almost considered committing to us back then. So I really do think that he is strongly considering us, more so than I did three months ago when I did the first edition of this episode. So that's why I moved him up in this version of the Most Wanted list. He was always a freak player, always a freak player. But now I'm convinced that we have a real legitimate shot with him. And man, as a player, this guy is an absolute monster. He's an incredible combination of athleticism and power. He's pushing 270 pounds. He's been clocked at a 4.8840. That's an officially timed 40-yard dash. Also got a a 4.5 short shuttle on record as well. He's just so explosive for a guy that size. And he's also a really advanced pass rusher from a technique standpoint and equally as strong against the run. You oftentimes don't see that at the high school level. And talk about game changers, because that's what I look at. When, I, when I'm looking at these prospects, the first thing I'm asking myself is, is this guy a game changer? And the answer to that question when we're talking about Corey Foreman is emphatically, yes, that dude is a game changer. Now, the big reason that I put him in the number two spot as opposed to the top spot is the position that he projects to play at the next level. I think with his size and body type and our 3-4 scheme, 
He's a five-tech defensive end. Now, that doesn't mean he can't add 20 to 25 pounds or so and play inside. It doesn't mean that we can't use him inside in certain situations and packages. But at his current size and based on what I see him do in high school, I think right now he projects as a five-tech defensive end. And that just isn't a premium position in our defense. It's important, no doubt about it, but it's not as important as some of the other spots in our defense. So I think that's the big reason why I had him at number two and not number one. Because from a talent standpoint, from a physical tool standpoint, it's hard to argue that he isn't the most talented player in the country. It's tough to make that argument. But saying all that, even though to this point under Kirby Smart, that five-tech position hasn't really been a, a premium position, maybe if we get a guy like Corey Foreman, that changes. And we adjust things to feature him and his skill set a little bit more. So that's certainly something that you can adjust. But based off what we've seen from Kirby Smart and his defenses here in Athens, that five-tech spot's important, sure. And those body types are rare, but it isn't like a premier position in our defense. And that leaves us with the number one player on my most wanted list, the guy that I am salivating the most over, and that is offensive lineman Amarius Mims. The guy is just a freak. Six foot seven, 315 pounds, number six overall in the 247 composite out of Bleckley County here in the state of Georgia. And again, the reason I have him ahead of Foreman, because from an athleticism standpoint, like it's neck and neck. I just happen to think that left tackle is more of a premier position than five-tech defensive end, if that is indeed what Corey Foreman does end up playing. And I felt all along that Mims was going to be a tough pull, even when we were looking like the clear leader for him a couple months ago. And the reason I say this is because, look, we just signed two top-level left tackle prospects last year in Broderick Jones and Tate Ratledge. And I'm concerned that the lack of class separation with those two could potentially scare him off. Now, if you're confident in your abilities, then that's a totally different story. And I think he is. The guy that's that highly rated, that's that big, that strong, that athletic, that dominant, he's going to be confident in his ability. So hopefully that's not as big of a deal for him. But he has also has a really good relationship with Brock Vandegrift and his family. And it doesn't mean, like, a relationship is great. A relationship with a, with a key commit is great. But when you hear, like, package deals and that kind of thing, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. So the fact that he has a good relationship with, with Vandegrift and his family, that doesn't hurt, but it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to commit here either. So I would caution you when you look at that. But yeah, it doesn't hurt. Certainly, that's true. But when you look at this guy as a player, man, just what an incredibly impressive frame. Just what an incredibly impressive physical specimen this guy is. There is not an ounce of bad weight on him. He could easily add another 10, 15 pounds and be none the worse for. He's got a very athletic build and just he's insanely athletic to go along with it. And that's not, sometimes these guys just, they look the part, but they don't always play up to that part. That's not the case with Mims. It's just not. His footwork is off the charts. He's a prototype left tackle. He's a first-round draft pick. Wherever he ends up going, book it. I'm saying it right now. This dude's a future first-round draft pick. And again, another reason why I have him at number one is I'm still, even though we're changing schemes offensively, where it seems like we're probably going to get away from the ground-and-pound pro-style attack, I'm still a big believer that you win and lose games at the line of scrimmage and strong play along the offensive line can be the difference between being a pretender and being a contender. And we've had incredibly strong offensive line play since Kirby, well, since year one of Kirby Smart's tenure. Since then, we've been really good on the offensive line. And if you get a guy like Mims to go along with Broderick Jones and Tate Riley, it's like, dude, man, talk about restocking the cupboard. I mean, I don't think you can get any better than that. Now, just like with Foreman, are we going to land him? I do not know. I don't know the answer to that question. 
He's another guy that we've been after for a long time. We've been heavily recruiting him for a long time. Our, our current commits are recruiting him for us. There's no doubt about that. I mean, he's got to be near or at the very top of the recruiting board that Kirby Smart and company have there inside Butts Mir, our football facility. He's got to be up there, man. There's no doubt about it. He's that kind of prospect. But look, when you're that good, everybody in the country wants a piece of you. So I know Auburn's heavily in this. Tennessee's recruiting him heavily. So we got to fin off these guys. But ultimately, when it's all said and done, I... I'm going to say right now, I think that we're going to land this guy. It's not going to be easy, and it's certainly not a done deal. There's no guarantees there. But I think the home state pool, what we've been doing with the offensive line, putting guys in the league, along with the, with Brock Vandegrift and that relationship, I do think ultimately we're going to end up landing him. But it's going to be it's going to be touch and go. That's for sure. Everybody in the country wants this guy, and there's some other really good recruiters that are after him as well. But that's it, guys. That does it for me today here on the Glory UJ Prospect. Again, kind of just to recap that list. Coming in at number 10, we've got Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, defensive tackle. At number nine, you've got cornerback Kamari Lassiter out of Tuscaloosa, Alabama. At number eight, another cornerback, Nyland Green out of Newton County here in the state of Georgia. Number seven, Xavier Sori, linebacker from IMG Academy. Really high on him. Number six, got Dejon Warren, a Juco cornerback that, that I think can come in and be a contributor immediately if we were able to land him. Moving to the top five, we've got Brock Bowers, the highly athletic tight end. At number four, we've got running back Donovan Edwards out of the state of Michigan. I think he's the top running back in the entire class. At number three, we've got inside linebacker Smale Mondin, who might have the highest upside of anybody on this list. Number two, Corey Foreman, number one overall prospect in the country out of the state of California, who we're looking better and better for. Certainly not a guarantee, but we're certainly more in this than a lot of people thought a couple months ago. And then finally, number one, Amarius Mims, offensive tackle, number six overall prospect in the country, a future first-round draft pick, if you ask me. But I appreciate it, guys. Thank you for sticking with me today. Curtis will be back next week. Hopefully, we will have some schedule news to discuss at that time. Fall camp is scheduled to start here the next week and a half or so. So we got plenty of content for you guys as we've had through this entire pandemic. You guys know we've got you covered. Thanks for listening. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.